Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Now, a word from this week's sponsor. Do you have tons of extra money that you'd like to just throw at a role-playing game? <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> That's why I've had to kickstart my new game. The Gum Belt is a brand new tabletop role-playing game from Geekster Games. Alien and robot cowboys ride dinosaurs across an interstellar wild west. These planetary pioneers struggled to survive beneath the smothering rule of the greedy corporatocracy Levacor. As players, you create characters who must work together as a posse to survive the harsh wilds of the planet Hell, increasing the power of your extraordinary abilities that you possess caused by exposure to the planet's primary resource, a mysterious floating rock called Levitite. The Gum Belt is an exciting game that features robots, aliens, cowboys, dinosaurs, adventure, excitement, but no Jedi. They care not for such things. It's empty out in this wilderness. So with the dinosaurs, back us today on Kickstarter. Welcome everybody to Tabletop Journeys. Very excited to be coming to you uh, once again this week with another great interview on a Kickstarter campaign. That is uh, it really this is going to be a special one tonight. So really looking forward to diving into this one. But before we introduce tonight's guest, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. How are things in uh, your respective corners of the world today? Things are going well today. I've been busy, 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 working real hard, trying to get stuff done. The nine to five job was crazy, life stuff afterwards, but uh, yeah, getting through it and uh, really excited to be talking with creative minds about creative things and the fun we're going to have with those creative things. Yeah. I have to admit, I am still firmly in the afterglow of our Kickstarter. So, so these, these Kickstarter interviews are always awesome. I love talking to creative minds. And uh, man, having just come out of ours and now being able to like, dive into the writing and kind of the aftermath of the of the Kickstarter campaign, uh, I'm really very much looking forward to uh, to that. How about you, Glenn? Absolutely. How are things over for you? Yeah. 
Doing great. I got to start my day with a hike. Trish and I make sure we get in at least one a week on the nicest day. We like two if we can manage it, but at least once a week. And then I spent, uh, we made dinner the rest of the day. And then I got to spend the evening going through the gun belt, which will be a topic that we'll be discussing here in a little while after we introduce our guest. That's been some great reading material for the evening. So I've definitely had a pretty fantastic day. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one to discuss. It's, uh, it's again, uh, yeah, we'll get into that when we introduce uh, tonight's guest. And right, so, right. we got to at least introduce yeah. him before we start yeah. talking about this stuff. My <laughs> before bad. Before we start talking about it. <laughs> Without further ado, let's introduce Ryan Ferriselli with us tonight, who is the principal author of The Gun Belt, currently on Kickstarter. So, Ryan, welcome to uh, Tabletop Journeys. Thank you very much. It's it's great to be here. Congratulations on your Kickstarter. It yeah, is thank a you. Tough, tough journey, but it's great when you can, <laughs> when you can fulfill and then... yeah. Have to fulfill it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It. yeah. We're we. Uh, I'm not sure how much of of our Kickstarter you followed, but yeah, this is our first one doing physical books. Also, so it, it introduces another fun angle around the uh, distribution side of things. That we're uh, we're lucky. We have a really great partner to go ahead and uh, and take care of that. So, yeah. yeah. But it it, it was uh, one of those wrinkles that has become a pleat. Exactly. Yeah. So so before we jump uh, too far off the wagon here, Ryan, give us the overview on what the gun belt is and what you're trying to accomplish with your Kickstarter campaign. The gun belt is a tabletop role-playing game. And the, the quick pitch is that it is alien and robot cowboys riding dinosaurs across an interstellar wild west. That, that is it at its simplest. I like to think it checks a lot of boxes off. (laughs) There's something there for everyone. I've often said that, I don't think my problem is convincing people to like my game. It's getting them to hear about it. And that, that, <laughs> that's like the better of the two problems to have. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. Um, yeah. Yeah. The uh, the game takes place on a planet that they call hell. The company government, it's a corporatocracy. So it, there is a company called Levacor. They are the rulers of the planet. It is like uh, the old coal mining towns in the 1900s in the Appalachia uh, area here in the United States where you work in the coal mine and then you spend the coal mine company's money in the coal mine company's store and you pay coal mine company rent on your house and coal mine company taxes on all of those things. And it's like that. And they do that with this company called Levacor. And they are mining a mysterious mineral called Levitite that floats. And this floating mineral is used to basically power power robots and also to make everything like stagecoaches and wagons and everything that would have wheels doesn't have wheels. We are a world without wheels. I have to say, we tried not to reinvent the wheel with this game because we got rid of them entirely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, there's like a, there's, yeah. What's great about about that sandbox is, and and I'm obviously simplifying it quite a bit, but the great thing about those premises is that. The game can be as simple as my 14-year-old daughter wants to go out, ride out with her posse and capture a dinosaur. And that's the adventure. And she is happy and has fun and it's great. Whereas I could play with a bunch of adult friends and the adventure is more about like the evil ruling of this corporation oppressing everybody and trying to make everybody give them all of their money and having to fight for survival as pioneers in the wild west it can be as heavy or as light as you'd like it to be cool i read that right in there you put it right in the book that it can be played it, it can be soft enough to play with kids fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. now john wick, john wick would tell you that i didn't tell you what my game was about he would say you just 
Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get into what the game about here. That's, yeah, we'll, this, we'll is why we, this is why we write down questions because I certainly have a lot of questions, uh, particularly about that kind of the themes that are in the book and kind of the flexibility right. of how you juggled all that. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and and you really hit on with your answer something that I'll dig into a little bit more. And as far as the company store element of the game, desperately made me want to go into you load sixteen ton and what do you get? And uh, I'll save the rest of that song for later, maybe a catapult. Uh, but definitely. <laughs> You know, song today. <laughs> yeah, my soul to the company store. All right, John. Before we get too far down there, let's pick up our fan roll dice and roll initiatives. Begin and on theme, we're going to roll two d sixes for initiative tonight. Gentlemen, have at it. Let's see. Uh, what do I got? Uh, that is a six for me. I am rocking a whopping two. Seven. Mm. All right, Mister Rice, you get the first question. Then have at it. I don't know, but we all still failed because 12 <laughs> is the did, number that true. you yeah. need for success. Yeah, but no. in the actual game mechanic, you roll 2d6, and then you add your stat and your skill, your attribute right. and your skill that your yeah. uh, tail that spinner, that's what they're called, tail spinner calls for. Yeah, yeah. So you have a much higher number. We're, yeah. Since the three of us as podcasters don't actually have any skills, exactly right. <laughs> rolling a straight 2d6. Speak like for it. yourself. I've got that singing skill. I just proved it. <laughs> did okay, you know i mean right. i hit that note you, quite you well thank you you proved it i hit so, that note quite well thank so once you. you add your singing skill you went from a two to a one right is that i rolled snake eyes and i'm at least a three and a half four that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> out of what anyway that's really trying to raise this back in yeah. to nowhere yeah. <laughs> all right mr myers have at it Okay. Ryan, thank you very much for joining us here on Tabletop Journey so we can torture you with questions and ask you questions. For my first one, one of the most interesting things that I've noticed, I think, unless I'm misunderstanding it, so I'm going to ask you to clarify, is that to create your hero, to create your cow poke, you have multiple species to select from, right? Ancestries. But you don't have a class list. Instead, it looks as though the class system and where your skills come from. You've got three pieces. You have your point of origin, your destination, and then you have baggage, which is like your flaw. So it's very kit. What, what you build is based on the things that you choose, which I thought was fascinating. So my question is, could you talk to us about the character, I'm going to say class with air quotes that nobody can see because sure. this is radio, development and how you build your character aside from just choosing your ancestry and how those three things relate to help you create a unique Western character. Absolutely. One of the great things about a Wild West setting is that we always think that a Western's about cowboy hats and six shooters, but the truth is Westerns are really about the feeling of bearing the world on your shoulders and having the ability to change the world or fix the world. The other sort of grinding element of Westerns, I think, comes from this idea that the world is about to move on, right? The cowboy or the cowpoke, we like to call them cowpokes because cowboys and cowgirls limits us with some of with one of our species particularly cowpokes in movies they're often fighting the technology that is about to make their world obsolete and so those two things this weight of the world on your shoulders and the weight of the world about to just drop you and leave you behind and and steam past you in a locomotive when you're just on a horse those elements really tie you into this idea of who are you and where did you come from because where you're going is going to change 
And so we came up with this idea of using a life package system. If you remember Last Unicorn Games, Star Trek. We are very familiar with that one. Quite a few years ago, but they used a life package system and it, it was a horrible mess but it was a brilliant idea. The math was insane yep. and never really actually quite made sense or work. But the idea was fascinating. Yeah, Josh, Josh has it on his shelf. He pulls it out. <laughs> Mine's back there. Yeah, it's, a, it's within our it was, reach. Yeah. Super, it was a super great, fun system. Really well done. But um, the, that piece of character creation was convoluted. And so we thought, <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need six packages, right? Let's just narrow it down to... What were you like when you were a kid? Or, or more specifically, what was your circumstance like when you were a kid, right? Because we want to leave the idea of who you were up to the player. But what was your circumstances like when you were a child? That's your point of origin. And then the second thing, the second package is your destination, which is what you do today. Again, not who you are, but what you do. And so we have a collection of, it's about a dozen different things. And they include things like, like officer of the law. That could be a security person or a sheriff, or it could be a Levacor federal agent. There are, there all of the destinations. Revenue. Right. (laughs) All of those destinations that you can choose from are, are, have a pretty wide gamut of the archetypes from Westerns that would apply to them. And then the last piece is the baggage because, Again, one of the profound elements of Westerns is that every cowpoke, every hero in a Western is carrying some sort of piece of baggage from their dead wife or their partner that was killed. Or there's always something that is is a monkey on their back, as they say, that just drags them down. And we wanted to include that element as well. So that's how they all come together to help you make a, a cowpoke that feels Westerny without us telling you who to make. I love it. I very much like that character kit system so that you can, you don't have to label yourself. You don't have to be a gunslinger or a deputy or a barmaid or any of the things that you find in some of the other Western games out there. You can be whatever you decide to call yourself. And the fact that those inform your skills and what you can do is, I, I love it. Yeah, and, and we made sure that there was a, a bundle of free points to spend at the end of character creation then also so that you can then really personalize it on top of on yeah. top of what those packages give you. We've really, been doing a lot of game stuff lately with like life path type systems. And so that's been something that we've all found, I think, really attractive and things that we've been talking about, not only in our content creation side, but also in our playing side too. So yeah, cool. As a matter of fact, I've been doing life path systems since the early 90s with Mechton. I I played one game of that, and the best part about that game was not the mech combat. I thought that was a hot mess at times, but it was very <laughs> fun. I had a blast. Like the, the two or three sessions I actually played the game were amazing. But the one thing that I fell in love with was their life path system. And for years, I used that for every character I ever made to create my backstories. And I would literally, if I went to play D&D, I would bring my Mechton book. If I went to play Rifts, I would bring my Mechton book. And Rifts has its own life path system. I just think Mechton did it better. And the element that I liked about that life path system was it specifically had things that would benefit or detract from the end character sheet. 
the life path and riffs is just there. It's just fluff. Where there's the mech yeah, song. just to help they, you make your story. It's, if you got a boon, that benefit. boon shows up on your character sheet. If you had a mentor, you got an extra skill or whatever, and then you had to fill in the story for it. And so I would typically use that, work with my GM. Glenn has been the recipient of many characters built that way with mm, the mech right. system. Indeed. I Photocopied mean, that section out of your mech book because <laughs> I didn't yeah. have it, just so yeah. that I could have it. Third edition D&D did a similar thing. They had in their Heroes and Allies book or one of their book, flat yeah, books that they had, that, did it, yeah. that, that they had specifically. And it was, I will go on record as saying it was a dead ripoff of the Mechton system uh, with the exception <laughs> of it didn't give you actual pluses and minuses to your character sheet. But well, it had is, all the same beats. The truth is that every single mechanic for every single game has already been done. It's like yep. music. Every note's yep. been played, right? We're just all taking the parts that we like from every system and we're putting them together. Like every single yeah. mechanic we talk about, I could tell you where it came from and not, it's not a direct ripoff, so to speak, right? Our point of origin and destinations do not look like the lug trek life packages system, but the thematic sort of feeling of those systems and, and where they came from. That's definitely where that influence came from. <laughs> Something we discovered, here's a, a little behind the scenes insight. From a game design standpoint, one of the problems with a Western is that every single fight ends up being role shooting. Right. Roll right. shooting, roll shooting, roll, right? Because <laughs> Westerns end in shootouts and that's boring, right? And so the two things that we did to kind of combat that is we, the one is we made it so that guns were very deadly, right? It's, you're not going to get a shot, three shots incapacitates you, three bullets incapacitates you, which is somewhat realistic and also pretty from a, a role-playing game standpoint, I've played role-playing games where you could get shot a dozen times and still have health sure. levels left. Uh, both the bad guys and the good guys can die very quickly in a shootout. And so that encourages you to think, how do I want to approach this in the smart way? The other thing that we did to combat that is that we made sure that everyone had to think about who and what their character was as part of the character creation standpoint, so that there was more weight to every story when you entered those combats. That way it wasn't just roll shooting for nothing. Yeah. yeah. I have to admit that when I very first saw the concept, so again, we I first saw you and a friend of the show, Josh Heath, posted about the gun belt and I started us on this miraculous journey to go ahead and get connected and start working together. And the very concept of the... Aliens and cowboys riding dinosaurs. Just it had me hooked from that six word introduction. Like it's it's the best two second elevator pitch I think I've ever read. It's amazing. Like cowboys and aliens riding dinosaurs. So I've got to know where the heck did that come from? Like how did you decide to go ahead and tell your particular cowboy story with aliens and dinosaurs? So my friend Ashley Rayburn, who is the co creator of the book, he and I created the mechanics together and the world together. And then I've led the writing of it. That's not where his area of strength is. But Ashley and I wanted to create a game. First of all, that was something that we could play with our kids and have a goofy fun session with, and also that we could play with our adult friends and do something that was heavy and dark and the kind of weighty subject matters that we enjoy as adults to role play. There aren't a lot of genres that can lend itself to that easily. Uh, but one of the things that jumped out at us was the fact that like, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park's one of those movies that really straddles that line great. It's always got one foot in the, the 
this is really scary. Holy cow, that yeah. thing just ate that guy. But then its yeah. other foot is in goofy, sexy Gold, Jeff Goldblum yeah. with his shirt off. And you're like, what? Yeah. It's your Goldblum. Sure. That's why. Sure, the dinosaur just ate that guy, but it was a lawyer on a toilet. So that makes right, it fun. Yeah. And, and, and also at the time, my kid really, and still does, really loves dinosaurs. And so that was part of it. And then Ashley always wanted to make some sort of game that was similar to the old cartoon Brave Star from the 80s. Oh, nice. So those two elements. What I, a callback. It was Brave Star and Jurassic Park, right? Two, both properties over 30 years old. And they, that's, that's where it came from. That's a good it, mashup. It's not. Yeah, that's yeah. a great mashup. I dig that a lot. Yeah. A lot. I mean, I, and I know when I tell him about it, that my friend, I call him Wolfgang. His name is Chris Wolfgang, but we all used to work in the same place and there were a thousand Chris's. So when you got a last name like Wolfgang, why not? Right. Yeah. Uh, he used to play it in my Rifts game. And at one point I had them fighting dinosaurs and he's like, I'm going to ride one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's out there. there. There's already people that want to do this. And I, I went yeah. with rule of cool always in that Rifts game. So the next thing, Wolfgang's riding through the streets on the back of a wild Allosaurus. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. And, and I don't think we've had a Brave Star callback on the show for a while. That's, I think we, that might we, be we the first to, one. Might be the first. I believe yeah, that's so, the well first Brave yeah. Star. We've hit quite a few of the cartoons yeah. in that area, but Filmation yeah. is not one of the ones we call back often. I know we've had Pirates of Darkwater, which came out around the same time. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple that have come up, but Brave Star is not one. I'm sure it's the first yeah. one is because until he said it, I had forgotten about Brave Star. <laughs> like, I was like, oh! <laughs> That's great. Oh, Brave Star. That's, yeah. I, I actually just watched a YouTube Where Toys Came From kind of thing on Brave Star not too long nice. ago. And, and I just remember the horse and that horse's <laughs> attitude and yeah. the, the, that big old blunderbuss gun that, it, that the horse yeah. had. Like, I love it. I love it. All in. All yeah. in a little way, we saw uh, Firefly as a bit of a proof of concept that you can do sure. a Western in space. I saw a Western in space and aliens. I'm like, oh, Firefly goes this way a little bit. But we don't have we don't have spaceships. So it's actually it's not as much like Firefly as you could initially think. But also, I wouldn't deny that. elements. I, I'd love you to go into some of the mechanics of the game a little bit. Fill in the audience. Fill us in. This is not a 5e compatible game. This is a different kind of game system, which is wonderful. We love learning and playing different game systems. Not that 5e is bad, but simply we love doing different things also. And we also really love, and it's something that a recent guest, James Hake, has spoken about. Other shows have talked when your mechanics match your theme and drive the kind of narrative you're looking for, that's important. So with a narrative as strong as the one you've been laying out for us so far tonight, I'd love for you to go into some of the mechanics and how the rules, the play loop, as it were, works for the audience so they get a good feel of how that would be and and how, how they would be adjudicating the game. Sure. So typically the main elements of a character sheet, since we're going to talk about mechanics, we'll linger on the, the character sheet. It is... There are four attributes, know-how, finesse, wits, and moxie. There are 12 skills, academics, athletics, burglary, fisticuffs, gadgetry, gumption, presence, shoot, and trailblazing and wild. I did it. You got <laughs> it. You got it. Every, I, I have it pulled up, and I was checking you. We don't do gotcha journalism, but I was going to have an internal snicker, but you hit it. Nice. Right. I, live in, I live in a world where if you're not sick of your game yet, then you've not created it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh. <laughs> So basically, it's a binumeral system, which is very old school. I would tell you that it's there are hints and elements of old World of Darkness 
to it in that you would roll your dice and you will take that total and add it to your attribute and your skill. And then that total you want to be 12 or higher. And if you roll a 12 or higher, that is a success. That's your target number. And if you are able to get 17 or higher, that is a bullseye success, which gives you a little bit of narrative bonus and will return to you a bullet point, which I'll I'll mention in just a moment. Um, Connected to that, each skill has five stars. You can have, that's five levels in it. The attributes are four stars. So at most you would be adding nine to those 2d6. The skills... At the third level, you get a burden, and I'll explain a burden in just a second. At the fourth level, you get a reputation, and at the fifth star, you get a second burden, and each skill has three burdens. So you'll have some character variation in that. You can only get two of the three burdens, so not everybody who has five stars in the same skills will have the same burdens. Um, Burdens are like gentle, uh, mystical power. I don't want to say it's magic because it isn't really magic, but it's a mysterious mystical power that is caused by overexposure to the mining dust created by levitite. So this mystical mineral that is floating and letting all of these machines float and making these machines work because they use it as a, as a power device it also, that dust that dust gets in the air, it gets in people's lungs, it gets in their skin, and eventually some people become what they've coined as a hellion. And hellions have burdens, which are these mystical powers that give them a little bit of an extraordinary ability. Uh, the thing about burdens is, however, that if you're able to do extraordinary things, then people expect you to do things. And so that's why it's, they call them burdens because I'm special, but now I got to do crap. <laughs> yeah. um, and so now, and we talked about at the beginning, I mentioned that John Wick would have said, you haven't told me what your game is about. And so this is where it comes in because what your game is actually about should be represented by a mechanic, right? In To talk about World of Darkness in Vampire, the mechanic is humanity because that game is supposed to be about holding on to your humanity. Now, that right. mechanic was a failure. We won't get into that, but it, it never worked <laughs> like it was supposed to. Never worked like it was. The design to. choice was there. <laughs> they, the intention was there. It just never, Fair. never worked. But in this game, the theme is this idea that in a in an environment of oppression, you, the people are stronger together, and so our theme for that, our mechanic that embodies that theme, are bullet points and. Essentially, you have to spend a bullet point to power your burden, okay? But every player does not have their own pool of bullet points. There is one pool that the entire pos- the entire posse shares one pool of bullet points. And so you have to work together, and there's a little bit of a management system of we don't have a whole lot of bullet points. Do we spend it? Is it worth it to spend it for this power now, or do I need to save these for later? There's a, a bit of a commerce to it in that the story, the tailspinner, the storyteller, the DM, whatever you want to call them, we call them tailspinners. The tailspinner will award these bullet points back. And so there is some exchange. There is a a commerce system. So the theme of the game is represented by this sharing of bullet points. The posse is stronger when they work together. And, and so that's kind of, I think the, for the most part, that is the bulk of the mechanics. There are some other little things like at the fourth level of a skill, you get a reputation and that's just a more of a role play element if you are for example someone I loved them who, though when I read them 
<laughs> Thank you. Shooting is the easy one. If you're shooting, then at four stars, you have the reputation of being a gunslinger. And so when you walk into town, if your character walks into a bar and doesn't want to be messed with, you could tell the story, the tailspinner, hey, my character is a gunslinger and folks should be a little afraid of me. And that's a give and take with the narration. Then as tailspinner, I would make sure that the crowd inside the saloon reacts accordingly. And it can be positive or negative. I can use it against them too. If if, if that same player wanted... Yeah, if that same player wanted to go walk up to a to an old a little old lady and get information, I could be like, "Yeah, but you're a gunslinger. She ain't gonna talk to you. She's afraid of you." Yeah. So, yep. I love that information. I think it's a really good overview of the character sheet and how some of these things play together between the character generation piece that you spoke about when answering Glenn's question and that I'm, I can see how these things work together to create some cool things. And I love the concept of a shared meta currency. The shared meta currency. Exactly. Just the same thing. Yeah. We have fallen in love with that system. Yeah, with, we've been playing with that a lot lately in other games. Yeah, the 2D20 system from Modiphius is, uses that and to right. great effect. And there is something really good about that. There's As game designers, we're always trying to figure out how do we keep X number of people engaged in the game when it's not their turn. The answer is have something that they all have a hand in, involved in every turn. So people pay attention more simply because... So-and-so is going to use X ability. Hey, guys. How many bullets did he just use? Yeah. Hey, folks, (laughs) do we all feel good about this, that, and the other thing? They're going to start to pay attention if they realize every time it gets to be their turn, there are none of those PowerPoints left. There's none of that left. They're going to start listening more to what's going on or suggesting better things or engaging more in the game. So at least they know why these things are happening. So I love the fact that built into the design is a method of engagement. Uh, and that is a, a key point to take note of. And regeneration of your bullet points too, which is key because the meta currency, if it depletes, then it's not fun anymore, right? Your rules don't just leave it to the storyteller, though the storyteller can award bullet points for all the mm-hmm. things one might in- award inspiration for in other games. I like that there were also straight mechanical triggers Mechanism. in the game that were going to yeah. award bullet points as well. That way the storyteller can't, forget or go through a spate where he's really focused on his notes and his mobs and he missed like, three people he should have given inspiration to or yep. a Benny two for uh, Savage Worlds. For any of those systems to work, it really has to go both ways. And right, right. what one tailspinner thinks is good role play may not be what another tailspinner thinks is good role play. And that can be a challenge because I can't, that is a thing I can't quantify. The folks with the, who have the game out in the real world, they're going to have to just decide what for their table is good role play or what isn't. And that's going to be different at every table also. And, and it, the truth is it'll be different for every player. You know, every player has different levels of acting ability, if we want to call it that, or there are mm-hmm. somebody who plays a tank that really just wants to shoot and beat stuff up isn't going to fall in love with an NPC. What they think is good role play might be like finding a really fun, interesting way to punch some guy in the face. Keep that balance in case a tailspinner misses something, right? If you roll that 17, that's a bullseye success. So I give you one back. If you're fighting a villain and my villain activates one of one of their burdens, then I in, the way I spend a bullet point is I give you one. And so that keeps it so that in a combat, there is also a, a rapid give and take going on as well. And it also encourages people to use those powers, which yep. is key so that it's not just 
roll, shoot and roll, dodge, roll, shoot and roll, dodge. Again, it's yeah. that there's that challenge of the genre that we're always fighting as well. That's the benefit like of the meta currency is you have to use it, right? That's You have to find some way to go ahead and make it attractive for the players to use as opposed to having them hoard it and save it, right? Yeah. And then Gunbelt, it's built with a max too, just like in right. Star Trek, you can't go like over six momentum in yeah. Gunbelt. You can't go over more bullet points than the number of players plus one. Correct. Yep. Very good. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you read it. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> and that benefits a modern tool. We do. I appreciate it. I, mean, I love it. <clears throat> depending on the material, sometimes it's a skimming because <laughs> to follow the mechanics and get what's going on, you don't need every word. And there's a lot and there's this much yeah. time, but yeah. yours was a good read. I enjoyed it. Thank you. So, I appreciate and, that. And a, and a gorgeous book. And I'll get to that with my we'll get to that in future question. Yeah, All right, we're going to step aside for just a minute, everybody, and record our Patreon exclusive questions. So uh, make sure you go ahead and go to www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys if you want to go ahead and hear that. You'll also hear a brief advertisement, and we will be back with round two of questions with Ryan Faricelli. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we've leveled up our game, and we're prepared to make your next role legendary. We've just started a partnership with FanWorld Dice, and they have over 300 product options to choose from. Gemstone, metal, new liquid core dice, and so much more. Better yet, listeners to the Tabletop Journeys podcast can get 10% off on their orders when they follow the link below and use discount code PODCAST10. A portion of these purchases come back to us, and this is a great way for you to help support the show. We're back from our Patreon-exclusive question with Ryan Faricelli talking about the gun belt. Uh, gentlemen, it's time to uh, roll an initiative for round two here. Let's break out the fan roll dice, and let's see what, let's see what happens here. That's a, that's I am a six rolling a nine again. on this one. Also got a six, Josh, so let's roll okay. again. Mm-hmm. Roll again, yep. <laughs> Victory. Of course, now I get the 12. Yeah. It doesn't matter now, so I'll, I'll go second. Unless you get a 12 again. I only got eight. Awesome. So, yes, right. no, you, right. will, you will go second. Got the shot down after 10 paces yeah. and roll showdown. <laughs> I didn't even have to spend bullet points. Ryan, here we go with our question. And the shade of this might be a little self-serving. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we're big fans of factions and how they work in different groups. And obviously, this is a world controlled by the co- by the corporation, right? The big store. I'm interested in how you apply that kind of there's this group or that group and this is how they interact with the rest of the world or how they interact with the players. I'm interested in how you approach that in your game or the space and room that you leave for it. Sure. One of the things that, as I mentioned earlier, with the theme being people working together to, to be stronger, we also wanted folks to be able to connect to NPC groups and all of those groups working together to be stronger. And so we did this, we created associations and we didn't want them to be one of the early versions of, of 7th C, one of, the, one of the first editions of 7th C, which was a great game, had fat, these associations that you could join. But when you joined them, like you were really locked into kind of how you had to role play a little bit. And, and we noticed that with a lot of games that factions and guilds and things like that they really locked you into to role playing a certain way and what we wanted to do again was lean into this idea of what you are not who you are and and leave that so uh, we created associations and the only real 
uh, mechanical tie to the association is that every association has an oath or a credo or a vow. And I'm going to use the one that everybody seems to really understand because there's one in the real world is the group for doctors. In, yeah. in real life, doctors have a Hippocratic oath. And that is the same thing. The Weston Institute of Allopathic Medicine, they have an oath that is, I swear by all who witness that I'll carry this oath to do no harm and help the sick and injured and yada, yada, yada. And it's the same, it's very similar to a Hippocratic oath. And so there's not a mechanical thing that says you absolutely have to do that. But if you are able to abide by that oath, then that's one of the ways that you are awarded uh, experience points at the end of a session. So you have a little bit of motivation to it, but you're not really punished if you don't do it necessarily. It's just an option for you to be able to have a connection to a group of NPCs that you can call on to help you or that the tailspinner can call on to maybe guide you towards the plot or guide you towards some sort of action or hint or clue or anything like that. Because sometimes as storytellers, we struggle to get players off of red herrings and <laughs> things like that. So, oh, yes. It's a gentle guiding tool that, that everybody can use, but like also players can call on for help and, and it gives them a little bit of guidance to an aspect of their character that they can ignore if situation requires it, but also can be rewarded if they stand up to it and encourages them to work with others still. Nice. Cool. Yeah, that was right. And you may have seen in the comment here that I called Liwanika a, a snake, and because like he, I very much had like that question written down. Also, I was wanted to go a little uh -oh. bit more like thematic with it. Like I wanted to talk about like, how all the themes play together, but that's a, but that's very much the direction that I wanted to go with that. So that's not the question that I'm going to ask. That's I'm going to go a different direction instead. Somebody always gets saucy when they get snaked too. Uh, it, always it, does. It's true. It's normally right around the middle of, of round two that all of a sudden I start running out of questions because other people. Are, the question that I wanted to ask, and the, one of the things that kind of came to me as I was reading through the quick start guide is that there was a sense for me that I got like really strong Eberron vibes from the book, but not, but it was like, yes and no. It was like, it felt like that kind of like, like that kind of like steampunky kind of vibe, but not really in the same way. And, and then had like levitating trains, but they were, but they were different. And so it was like, it seemed like tangentially inspired, but not really. And I guess what I wanted to get from you is what your thoughts were on, is that comparison really apt? Was that really a, something that you were thinking about is making a Wild West version of kind of more of a steampunk genre? Or do you think that, that I'm totally full of crap and I'm, I went totally down the wrong path? I will tell you, first of all, that I know nothing about Eberron other than that it is a role-playing game that exists. All right, cool. Yeah, well, there we go. I can't speak to the comparison other than to say that everything has been done in different ways sure. at some point. I can yeah. speak to the comparison of steampunk, though. Sure. I have actually jokingly referred to this genre as magnet punk because it gives this idea that in, this, in the same way that that in steampunk, everything is powered by heating water and making that steam turn things. Everything in this world is powered by levitite, which is the floating rock. And that, that rock's floatiness, I don't know, we'll <laughs> make up yeah. words, but that yeah. the properties that make it float are magnets, are magnetism. They are magnetic. And so it's pressing against the, the gravity of the planet and all the magnetic fields are what makes these things float. So we call it magnet punk in that sense. There is no real good way to do robots 
in the Wild West without a hint of steampunk or in this case, magnet punk, which I don't think is that dissimilar other than the source of the power. So if you're going to have, if you're going to have robots, you have to go that route because you don't have uh, solid state electronics <laughs> in sure. the Wild West. So I think that a, a little bit of a comparison to steampunk, I think is absolutely fair. Yeah. Cool. That makes me feel better. But see what I'm saying, Glenn? It's like, it felt like Eberron, but not really. The only There's thing that made me think it, Eberron yeah. was the hover trains, specifically. Sure. There were a couple of other Eberron vibes, but mostly for me, it took me to places like Firefly, which we mentioned earlier, the yeah. Wild West yeah. for Will Smith's movie. And that, that's a steampunk Western. It took me a little bit Deadlands with yep. Levitite instead of Ghost Rock, but they function completely differently, magic versus magnetism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't have the Weird West element that Deadlands had either. Yeah. You got so, dinosaurs instead. I have dinosaurs yeah. instead, that's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned, you, <laughs> you mentioned Deadlands, though. Deadlands did have a very strong impact on this game, a, a reverse way. One of the things that when we were first exploring what mechanics, as is often the case with role-playing games, the world comes before the mechanics, right? When you are creating a game, that is often, it, most of the time, I would even say, that is the order in which it happens. And so you shop around your genre with what will work with this, because the mechanics do have to feel it feel like the genre, right? The the great example of when that does not work is Star Wars sagas. When they took the Dungeons and Dragons mechanics and applied it to Star Wars, it was always weird to have a 12th level stormtrooper, right? Like it, right. it worked, the mechanics worked, but it didn't feel right. And, and that's not always something you could put your finger exactly on, but we went through a lot just exploring what we could use. And at one point, Deadlands came up. And if you recall the first version, the first edition of Deadlands, used either no dice or very little dice and instead you played poker hands yeah and the problem it was, was a lot more card based than, than the current version yes and, and the they had dilemma, poker chips too yeah and the dilemma that they encountered though as a as a publisher was that for me to run a game for let's again using my 14 year old as an example for me to run a game for a bunch of 14 year olds they had to learn poker and deadlands right <laughs> and so they had to actually right. learn Two games to play one. Fair point. <laughs> and poker is not a fast learning game. If people play poker their whole lives and never get good at it. And so that's why the subsequent editions of Deadlands, I believe at least the second edition kept, there was a sidebar that was like, you could play it with poker and this is optional rules to do that. But that's why they all went to dice after that was because it actually was a big problem as far as learning curve for new players. Yeah. And we realized poker is so inherent to the genre of Wild West. What do we do about that? Because it's even difficult to be like, make a, a, we don't have gambling specifically as a skill, but at the time we were talking about it, gambling was one of the skills we have. Roll gambling and it's, okay, I, I rolled a success. Did I win at the poker? That's not, doesn't feel <laughs> good. That's, yeah. And yeah. so we realized that we didn't want our game to have poker in it, but it needed to have a, a game played at tables. And so we created this game called Dig. And essentially, dig is European rules for go fish, which are very similar to the American rules for go fish with just a couple of little differences that actually makes it competitive. It actually makes it a little competitive, but the best part about it is that every little kid knows how to play go fish. And so if 
in the middle of a game, they need to have their character gamble at a saloon. They are very familiar with what the game is. And you could, if you wanted to, even actually play a hand of Go Fish and let the fates <laughs> decide instead of rolling gambling. Because the other thing, unlike poker, is that a game of Go Fish takes about 15 minutes. And poker could take all night. So yeah. that's the funny Edlands connection is we created, instead of dig, you or instead of Go Fish, dig, because it's all mine-based for uh, the mining I I, I love that, and I say that specifically because I'm a person who's terrible at poker. <laughs> terrible like, at poker. Objectively terrible. bad at poker. And I, I am so bad. It's one of my favorite people to play with. I do, I, I, like, that was my point. <laughs> I, that was my point. I am so bad at it that I am invited to nearly every poker game on <laughs> planet Earth. <laughs> ERF on planet Earth. Every single one. People are like, bring that fool this way and <laughs> make sure we shake him for his pockets. I am telling you, I am so bad. I went to play with a, a good buddy of mine, Benito, with his family, and his mom is amazing at, at Texas Hold'em. Really good at texas hold'em and i was done so quick she's like honey you come back anytime you want i'm like yeah, yeah. thanks ma i appreciate <laughs> that this is when he gets poker face when he gets a good hand he's spreading his cards and he's trying to look all stern he's like <laughs> yeah and the audience yeah, yeah. who's listening to this will see that i'll have to take a no yeah you won't see the shocked face we actually created a deck of cards for dig as well and we did a kickstarter of it last year to raise money to get art for the book so that we had enough art to be able to run the Kickstarter for the book. And here's a, a little, another gem of creating a game is that apparently there are people who just collect decks of cards. They have shelves and shelves of decks of cards. They, and so we had people that were like, I don't know what a role-playing game is, but you have a unique deck of cards that I want. And it, it's bizarre, but it works. <laughs> I like them. Fair enough. I did notice when I was looking through the Kickstarter that uh, the cards kicked in at some of the tiers as well, that they were going to yeah. come with a deck of cards, yep. and that's cool. Yep. Nice. Uh, I play DCC Weird West with a, a good friend and his family and several other friends, and they too have, uh, even in that game, it's a DCC game, so it's not a card-based game. The one thing they did is they did have a gun deck, so when you fire your weapon, you are rolling your dice, but the effect is you're drawing the cards. You could draw a dead man's hand or you could draw whatever. So you That's do fun. have your gun deck for gun effects, but the rest of the game is definitely a typical dice game. Yeah. Their dice system is a little different as well. But, but again, and it's to the point you made, it's just like who wants to learn to play this four-hour, five-hour game and not everybody has those wicked cool sunglasses and the little camera <laughs> on the table. But you got to do all the other things. So. Yeah. So. All right, Glenn. I think it is, it's up to you for our probably what's going to be our last question of the night. And reading through the material that we have, as I said, it was a good read. I was intrigued. I liked all of what I read. And I like the way you were blending your mechanics together. It made me want a full version because all I have is your quick start because obviously you're still funding. But it also left me with lots of questions that aren't in the quick start okay. guides. So I'm going to ramble for a second, but I'll frame it into... Have the, you have these two planets. You have Easton and Weston, and they're connected by an intergalactic train. Right. And all of the people on Weston, the New West, the Western frontier, 
they're working for Levacorp because Levacorp is recruiting people from Easton to come here to work over under the the premise of hey you're gonna make you're gonna make your fortune here mining levitite but it's all a sham they control everything and once you're there it's hard to leave i thought that was fascinating as well levacorp charges you more to leave right than it than they do to get you there but then they keep you in debt your whole life and you work for them right so my question is a couple of parts because what i'm looking for because this is really important to me i like it's not so much that I like. No, that's not, I can't say I require. I almost said I require, but I don't if it's a special <laughs> enough game like 10 Candles where everybody's going to die. It's okay if there's no hope. But I like that there needs to be hope for me to really bring a character to life, something to work for, something to work towards. And as I was envisioning the world based on what I had, I'm like, all right, once you're on Weston, dude, you're screwed. And I'm trying to come up with, and I'm working on what they're going to be hopeful for. Some of them leave the corporate town to go out and try to fend for themselves and make their own way. But the environment is fascinatingly terrifying between the the sinkholes and the steam geysers and because the, the planet's kind of unstable. Right. I'm getting there, I promise. It's, it's, I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> if I were getting ready to run this game, if I was trying to craft a story what forces or organizations are there any at work in the world that are trying to make a difference that are trying to make it better is it just the players or back on easton is it a civilized world where some investigative reporter might hear how horrible the conditions are and nobody knew and they break the story and now people aren't coming what's going on there what kind of hope is there what is the glimmering new possibility on the horizon for the hellions who are trapped in hell sure so i will begin by saying that westerns are often crippled by this sort of burdening lack of hope except there is always that shimmer of individualism as a hope right this idea if you remember the the old film high noon right in, in high noon the town was pretty much overrun by all of the ruffians the bad guys gang and everybody had given up but one man said no i'm going to to stop this i am going to be the one that provides hope and that is what players embody in this game is as hellions because there are also people who do not have these special powers that aren't burden that don't have burdens. Part of being a hellion is this burden, little b, <laughs> lowercase b, this burden that like when people need help and need hope, that is what you and your posse are there to fight for. Western hope is always very personal, whether that's personal as a posse, as a gang, as a group or whatever, or a small town or whether that hope is individualized. Uh, just the nature of the genre is that the world is often without hope, but that guy in the town, the sheriff, the, the 310 to Yuma homesteader who's going to fight to bring the bad guy to the train, at the end of the day, that bad guy is going to maybe get away or his gang is going to shoot up the town and kill a bunch of people or whatever. But ultimately, that glimmer of hope is found in the posse of heroes. And that's the same thing that's true with the gun belt. And there are certainly there are certainly associations that folks can play who are fighting for good. One of the groups, they're called the filibusters. 
and they see Levacor as corrupt and driven by greed and uncaring about the people that they govern. And the, filibus the filibusters dream of creating a new government or governments on Weston that would replace Levacor. But that for now, that makes them rebellious <laughs> revolutionaries. There are also people on Hell who follow, there's a religion called Horizonism. And horizonists believe that everyone is driven by this destiny to one day into a heaven that is above the planet. And so horizonists are working together to build a monastery out of wood in orbit above the planet. And so their hope is that one day when this monastery is finished, they will all be able to go to this monastery and ascend into the heaven in some way that they've not figured out yet. <laughs> and so there's, there is hope, but it tends to be very localized and individualized amongst the small group. And again, that's a lot of that just lies in the nature of Westerns. Fantastic answer. The hope is going to come from the heroes, which I knew was already a source, but then you still brought me some associations to that the bring it home. That was a great answer. Loved it. I, as you're answering that, it really called to mind some of my favorite Westerns and the things you mentioned, 310 to Yuma, both the original and the more modern one are fantastic films. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was also thinking about a lot of very personal stories, and I don't think it's traditionally thought of as a Western, though I think it was very much filmed and staged like a Western. Legends of the Fall <laughs> comes to mind, where it was about the little and very specific things. That's a very tragic film. For any who are not familiar with this, with it or whatever, but the person you think of is going to be the hero of the whole film. Spoiler alert for a movie that's probably thirty plus years old <laughs> dies not early, but certainly around or before, just before the halfway point of the film. But it's more about the little bits of hope in the despair that came from all of that lead up. You look at the girl in Rooster it's Rooster Cogburn, it's not the name of the movie, but Rooster Cogburn is the character played by John Wayne and then later played by Jeff Bridges. But in that particular film there's these little glimmers of hope that's about when one person, when one hero, or in this case, a posse of heroes, says, no, I've had enough. You think of Sam Elliott playing Virgil Earp, who says, no, I've had enough. This is the law, and we're going to stand for it. And Tombstone, a little more bleak, but even the Wyatt Earp version, it's, all, it's always, we're not going to win. But by God, when I fail, you're going to know I tried, and that's yeah. the hope of the story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's probably the coolest thing about Westerns, something that was lost on me when I was a little kid and I was pretty much forced to watch them. And I didn't think I'd like I didn't think I liked them. But as I got older and my film acumen and my reading acumen got better and I started realizing what those stories were actually about, then I, I really started piecing those things together. Yeah, I think it all comes back to that thing we talked about uh, near the beginning of the show where the true villain of Westerns as a genre is progress, right? Yeah. And you can't stop progress. Right. It is an unstoppable force. It's the automobile is coming. Your horse is about to be obsolete. And right, there's yeah. nothing you can do about that but fight. And that is where your hope lies, is in that individual fight to, to do right. That gives me See, inspiration because I'm thinking about AI is definitely coming. The one thing that you can do is you can you can write that one last story. 
And that can be the story that people pass around and remember. Or I think about those kinds of moments. Another film that was not necessarily. Okay, John Connor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but another film that was that was not billed as a Western, but has very strong Western themes is Reign of Fire with Christian Bale and, His Wo- favorite and Woody Harrelson. You don't win, but you can still stand up and do the right thing. When you were talking about what it brought to mind for you, it immediately popped into my mind what it brought to mind for me while you were speaking, Ryan, and describing the environment. And what it made me think of was the plight of all of the all of the Hellions and the rest of the people living in hell. What it made me think of in terms of the hope and that individual fight, it made me think of Andor and the yep, people yeah. of that city where Andor started from and, mm. and Marva and her little house and what Marva's funeral turned into kind of thing. That's what it made me think of. There are a lot of a lot of elements of Andor that are very Western, and and that's the thing is I don't believe Westerns are about cowboys. I believe it's about this idea that progress is coming, and there's nothing you can you can stop. When you look at t- a lot of Taylor Sheridan's films, Hell and High Water, that takes place in a, that is absolutely a Western. Mm. Everything about it is a Western, even though it takes place in modern times. Mm. Hmm. I think we're about to start a movie podcast. <laughs> we, we used to have a side show called side yeah. quests that we talked yeah, about yeah. movie shows etc yeah. i used to have yeah. a movie show called lights camera cleveland back long ago so nice, <laughs> nice. Awesome. little cleveland tennessee well, let me try to bring some some order and everything in here because ryan this has been a fabulous time like i feel like we could go ahead and keep going for a conversation couple hours on this but yeah it's been fabulous so much in so in this little 40 40 page uh, quick start guide so much in here to go ahead and pull apart i really value the time that you've been able to go ahead and spend with us tonight but before we let you go you. how do people find the gun belt and how do they engage with you sure we are on facebook right you can go to facebook.com slash the gun belt we are in it wild that the gun was available <laughs> that is crazy. I didn't yeah. have to, so yeah. So you can go to thegumbelt.com, although that is our website which was mostly used to collect mailing lists and things for the upcoming Kickstarter. The the best stuff is either on Twitter or X and our username there is at the gumbelt or you can go to Facebook and find us at the gumbelt. And of course you can go to Kickstarter and you can just search for the gumbelt and believe it or not you will not get a bunch of gun results featuring belts that hold guns, you will actually find us and we're there. Yeah. We'll make sure to go ahead and put the link in the show notes down below also um, so that you can go. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Kickstarter campaign runs until uh, Saturday, November 18th. Everybody out there listening, go check out the gun belt and get into some cowboy and mm-hmm. robot and dinosaur fun. Let's see. So next week on the show, so we actually shuffled some things around here to go ahead and make some space for Ryan. So next week, we're going to be trotting out our episode all about horror RPGs in honor of Halloween. It'll be a couple weeks late, but such is life, where uh, the three of us sat down and go ahead and talk about a bunch of horror RPGs. And we are just about to wrap up season one of our Star Trek actual play, Star Trek Preservations. That'll be wrapping up here in the next couple of weeks. And then that'll take a little bit of a hiatus until just after the beginning of the year when season two begins. Make sure you are subscribed and and checking that out because uh, Man Alive Preservations season one ends. Lee Winika is brutal. Let's just put it that way. It is a... I, I listen to the rough cut of it mm. it is a thing of beauty it's a thing of beauty i, I was yeah. proud to be able to help build that cliffhanger yeah 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 <laughs> that so, was a good one uh, that, that was definitely a good one 
<laughs> yeah. That is our show for this evening. Ryan Fariselli, thanks so very much for joining us. Everybody out there, go check out The Gun Belt on Kickstarter. So, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have a great right, night. Everybody. Good. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await.